Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan. I'm not going to spend any time here talking about what this episode is about. I'm going to let it speak for itself and let you first listen to two minutes of thoughtful wisdom taken from the episode with a woman in strong leadership, my guest today, Patty Block from the Block Group. I'm going to highlight something you said earlier and something I hear really frequently, which is I need to price for what I'm worth or I'm not earning what I'm worth. And I reject that concept because I believe that every human has innate value and innate worth. And because of that, when we start talking about I need to price based on what I'm worth, we conflate the value of what you're providing with you as a person or your self-esteem. And I reject that notion. And I don't think your pricing or your value should be based on your self-esteem. I think those have to be two separate things. So, and keep in mind, your self-esteem is the baseline of your identity, whereas pricing can change from day to day. You know, it can change in many different ways. So I want to separate that out for that reason. What I have developed over time, and I recommend for everyone, and that is to surround yourself with people that can help you be accountable, that don't let you get away with stuff, that call you when you say things or do things that may not be good for you, people that hold you accountable. And what I have done over time is create that environment for myself. And most of those people are men. And I think that's been part of my personal work to allow men to support me. I had to get to a point where I could accept their advice, where I could, and not take it as a criticism. And so gentlemen, those of you that are out there that want to support the women around you, yes, start with listening, but also ask the women in your lives how you can best support them and what ways you can hold them accountable in a positive way. Good morning, Patty Block from the Block Group. I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm really thrilled that you're here. So Patty and I, I believe, met through an acquaintance of Lisa Pachens, right? Right. Yeah. So Lisa, Lisa has been connecting me with a lot of women in strong leadership. And part of the reason I wanted to have Patty on the show is because we had a fabulous conversation, mainly because you are so crystal clear about this thing called value pricing. And uh, I did look it up. You know, I just wanted to give people a perspective and I'll read what I found, which was that It's kind of defined as value pricing is customer-focused pricing, meaning companies base their pricing on how much the customer believes a product is worth. Value-based pricing is different than cost-plus pricing, which factors the cost of production into the pricing calculation. And uh, do you agree with that? I do. And one of the challenges is I work with service-based businesses and there's no supply chain. There's no, there's nothing on which to base your pricing. 
So everyone's guessing. And mm. as women, we're guessing wrong. We're undervaluing ourselves and we're underpricing our services. Yes. And that really has my attention. So, you know, it's, it, it's a conversation worth, worth having. So talk to me a little bit more about that in terms of what's happening with women. Sure. You know, when I was growing up, my mom used to make these fabulous cookies and the whole house smelled good and it was warm and the cookies were gooey. It was fabulous. And my whole life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. Oh, what a great story. Yeah. And that is what we as women do in our businesses. God, um, Patty, we, that's brilliant. Thank you. Well, we eat the broken cookies. We live on crumbs and we make sure that everyone else around us, our staff, our clients, our families, everyone else gets the whole cookie. Mm. And we deal with the broken cookies. And I've seen how pervasive this is in all the years that I've been working with women business owners. And that's part of my mission is to help women understand that you can serve others and still make a lot of money. They are not mutually exclusive. As you know, I'm doing a whole series, which you are a part of called Women in Strong Leadership. And these conversations that I have to me, it's just leading a wave of, of a change in consciousness, which I am really a part of and really looking forward to elevate women's voices to be heard so that this change can happen. And how do you think that's going to happen, actually? Well, first of all, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I think giving women the opportunity to get their voice out there, to get their message out there. That's a big part of my mission is I want to reach more women business owners because running your business does not have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that painful and you don't have to sacrifice on a daily basis in order to be successful. And I think we have this misunderstanding. Maybe we believe the myths that you have to work harder to earn more. And with my program, which is called Value Driven Pricing, no, you don't. If you can address your pricing issues and price appropriately for the clients you want to work with, for your market, then it doesn't have to be that hard. And it lifts a lot of that burden from your shoulders. So you don't have to sacrifice every day in order to make a lot of money. And one thing I want to qualify is a lot of times when I talk about making money or making a lot of money or fixing your pricing or when I talk about these things, the reaction that I sometimes get from women is that they feel greedy or they feel guilty if they want to make more money or if they want to even out their revenue. So it's not all these ups and downs and wild swings and that is part of the myth that we grow up with. Most of us as girls, as women, we're not raised to be breadwinners. And, and I know in my family, I wasn't. I was expected to grow up, get married, have children, 
raise a family. And if I had a career, that was great, but not expected, really. And yet my brothers have a lot of pressure put on them to be the breadwinners, to succeed. So there was a real double standard. And, and I always like to tease my brothers because I was the first of the kids to get my advanced degree. So I did grow up and get married and have a family and raise my kids, but it's not the beaver cleaver idea of the family because I was 34, had three little kids and a surprise divorce. Mm. So that changed everything for me and for my kids. And I subsequently raised my kids on my own, helped them all get through college, graduate school, start their careers. And then now they're all three business owners. And so I help all three of them with their businesses. And they also work in my business. So it's it was a very difficult journey. And it was certainly not what I expected. But I always intended to have a career. And you really can do both. It's not easy. And as a single mom, it sure wasn't easy. But you can make it work. And when you bring in more money, especially for women, it benefits everybody around you. And you're creating jobs and you're supporting yourself and your family. And you can do that and make more money with less stress. And that's the whole concept of what I teach. Mm -hmm. So would you say that the divorce was your the defining moment for you? No. And the reason I would say that is because I don't believe that a defining moment can be made by someone else's decision. And it wasn't my- that's, uh, Just hang on, that's pretty brilliant. That's very insightful. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm asking everybody to just like sit with that for a minute. And, and to me, it goes along the lines, in few exceptions, nobody can really hurt you. Like when people say, oh, you hurt my feelings. No, you kind of hurt your own feelings by accepting, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's that you've probably heard this before is what people think of you is none of your business. Yes. Yes. And so, yes, the event of the divorce sent me in certain directions. But as I often remind my kids and my clients, it's not if and when you get knocked down, because you will. It's how you get back up. And the defining moment for me was how I got back up. And how did you get back up? So I had a company, I've always, I was raised in a very entrepreneurial family. I've always been an entrepreneur. And I had a company many years ago that focused on political consulting and lobbying. And it was fascinating. I learned a ton, but I'd never do it again. And I'm glad I don't live in that political world now. However, I had the company for about eight years. And that actually was one of the motivators in my starting this company in 2006. Mm -hmm. And that was if there were resources to help me grow and scale my company, I didn't know how to find them and I didn't know who to trust. And especially working in the political world, nobody trusts anybody. So I was very worried about being taken advantage of or, 
And I didn't know how to price my services. I really didn't know how to sell. So I was learning all of that while I was doing the political consulting and the lobbying. And when I had the divorce, which was a, a surprise to me, and I was really gobsmacked, I was very caught off guard. And my youngest wasn't even two at that time, so little kids. And in order to even out my revenue, because it was tied to the election cycle, I added the lobbying, which is great, but it required a lot of travel. So what I realized very quickly when the divorce started to move forward was I needed to stop traveling and I needed to stabilize things for my kids. And I was pretty sure I was going to be on my own financially and logistically. And I kind of underestimated that. So I was really on my own and I have no family where I live. And so I was really on my own and had to develop a plan of what I was going to do. And that plan included closing my business and getting a job because I needed health insurance for my kids. So we're raised to think that life is a straight line and it never is. And I wish someone had told me that before I experienced it for myself, because I think I would have been better prepared. Yeah. But, you would have prepared. Right. Yeah. But regardless, I got knocked down and I figured out a way to get back up financially, logistically. And my goal was always to raise good human beings. Hmm. So as long as I kept that in perspective, everything else was manageable. And I took a job at an international school as the director of development, handling marketing, public relations, and fundraising. And then I became director of operations and managed uh, a really well-known, well-respected international school and was there for almost nine years and wanted then to take that experience in finance and operations and bring that to the small business market. So I always knew I was going to start my company again, and I knew I wanted to be that resource for other women business owners, but I was waiting for my kids to get older and more independent. Mm -hmm. So that's really the plan that I developed and put into place so I could get back up. Awesome. So you've done it for yourself. And so now you can, you've done it for others and do it for others in a sense. Yes. Well, you might not get knocked down in that dramatic a way, mm -hmm. but we all experience things that kind of knock us off our pins and are surprising and traumatic and difficult. We all experience that. And having those experiences has made me more resilient, more adaptable, and able to teach my kids that you can get back up and even if you're experimenting with your methods of how you're going to get back up, you really can do it and you can positively affect everyone around you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. So let's talk a little bit about value pricing. I mean, it's kind of like you already have. There's a there's a thread here. But, um, you know, in our initial call, we 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 had a conversation and it really kind of struck me because I think I started to tell you that I was working with somebody, um, strategic planner, somebody that is really good at what they do. And, um, and 
they're pretty much retired and uh, kind of coming from an older business model. But they brought in a lot of interesting questions that ask me like, number one, if you're going to be doing a podcast for somebody and producing it for them, like one of the questions is, you know, what is it worth? In other words, what kind of time are you saving them? And then bringing in, you know, 16 plus years of experience. So, you know, so when it comes to value pricing, um, you know, how do you approach that? I mean, is, is it a little bit of, you know, what are you worth in a particular market and what is the market willing to bear? And then my other question is, I think if I have this right, that part of what you do for women and other people, that would be men, I guess, part of what you're, what you're actually doing is um, helping them understand their value. Anyway, so just talk to me a little bit about that. I, I have some other questions, but I don't want to like do everything at once here. Okay. So I'm going to highlight something you said earlier and something I hear really frequently, which is I need to price for what I'm worth or I'm not earning what I'm worth. And I reject that concept because I believe that every human has innate value and innate worth. And because of that, when we start talking about, I need to price based on what I'm worth, we conflate the value of what you're providing with you as a person or your self-esteem. Mm. And I reject that notion. And I don't think your pricing or your value should be based on your self-esteem. I think those have to be two separate things. So, and keep in mind, your self-esteem is the baseline of your identity, whereas pricing can change from day to day. You know, it can change in many different ways. So I want to separate that out for that reason. What I talk about with value-driven pricing is there are three types of value that I focus on. There's extrinsic value. That's what somebody says something is, quote, worth. So out in the marketplace, when you go buy a cell phone, AT&T or Verizon or whoever you're buying your cell phone from puts a price on that. And that's what you have to deal with when you go in to buy retail, right? And that's the extrinsic value. The value to me as the buyer is the intrinsic value. And so that means whether I'm going to choose a really expensive cell phone or one that's middle of the road depends on what I think is important, what features I want, what, what value I put on that particular cell phone. So those two different types of value is where we start. And then we add a third level to that, which is perceived value. In my case, when I'm helping companies that are service-based, I am advising them that the perceived value can be built. And that value is based on what I as the buyer, the level to which I believe you can solve my problem. That is the perceived value. So if someone comes to me and is talking to me about my services, I can actively build the value in their mind to help them understand my pricing model. 
And so it's a very analytical process where I teach people not only to understand their own, the value of the services they're providing, it's really about the value of the outcomes. So to your point a moment ago, when you said saving time, that's tremendously valuable, especially to business owners. Everyone wants to save time. We want to be efficient and we want to be effective. So if I can teach you how to put value-driven pricing to work in your business, I have just saved you all the years it took me to develop this program, right? I'm going to streamline it for you. And so that is tremendous value. And the return on your investment is going to be quick. So most of my clients that implement value-driven pricing, they start bringing in more revenue almost immediately. And so then your return on investment makes sense. And it happens very quickly. That's very clarifying for me. That's really great. Can you... Um, Give us an example without maybe using any names or company names of, of somebody that you've helped. And I'm sure you can. It's a dumb question, actually. But just give us, a, give us a few examples in the service industry. Sure. So one of my clients is a public relations firm. Very well established. They've been in business, I think, eight or 10 years. And the, one of the problems, especially for women, is that there's a lot of fear underneath pricing. And so we're afraid that people will react badly and we won't know how to handle it. We're afraid we'll get pushback. We're afraid we'll lose clients and we won't get new clients. So there's tons of fear underneath all of that. And so my client who is a, a PR expert and has this really wonderful firm, we'll call her Sherry for simplicity. It's not her real name. So let's say that she has someone come to her, which she did, a gentleman named Joe, and he calls and he found her through LinkedIn and reaches out to her because he's just taken a new position in his company and he's a little bit frantic about getting the public relations plan in place because he's new to this position. And so he wants to get everything done within 30 to 60 days and he has very specific instructions from his direct supervisor. So he comes to Sherry and explains what's happening and he, she can tell he's very anxious. And this is a wonderful project for her and her team. So she continues the conversation, she goes through the whole process. And when she priced it, she brought it to me and she had priced it at about $40,000. And I'm looking at that thinking, well, let's, deconstruct this. He's in a hurry. He has a lot of urgency around what he needs and when he needs it. And he's asking her to do a job that would normally take about six months and he wants her to do it in two months. So in my mind, the value just went up because if she's someone who can do it in two months, that is hugely valuable to him. In addition to that, he has these specific requirements that he needs her to, to fill. And one of the problems is she's an expert. So now she is having to work within these specific guidelines and that can cause inefficiencies and problems and how she uses her team. So 
you can start to see how I think and how I'm viewing this buyer, this potential client. So that's what I share with Sherry and say, here's the situation. Here's what he's asking for. And $40,000 doesn't begin to cover the value. So what I initially recommended was that she at least double it. I wanted her to go higher, but she wasn't comfortable to do that. And the work that I do with my clients is to help them get comfortable and to teach them how to talk about and how to answer questions and how to not feel caught off guard. So we went through those exercises. We worked with her. She went up to 75,000 because she couldn't quite get to 80. But interestingly, when she presented the proposal to him, he did not hesitate. And that tells me she left money on the table. Yes. So you can start to see the way I'm approaching this, how I view it and how I teach my clients to approach it differently. So what it did is it built her confidence so that in a future interaction, she knows that this, I don't want to say nonsense, but to some degree it is. And that's what the market will bear. It's nonsense. Every market in every region is different. And no one knows what the market will bear if there is such a thing, unless you've done very recent, very in-depth market research. And most people haven't. So if you can set aside what the market will bear and that old myth, then it opens up your perspective to be looking at pricing and value very differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, you know, I've, I've done research, I've done comparisons with other companies doing kind of, well, actually comparing companies that appear to be doing what we're doing. And I find their pricing and it's like, how can they possibly do this? Do what we do for this price. And most of the time it's a single person. It's not a team of seven. Yes. And it's not a team of seven who have very specific um, expertise in each of their fields. So it's a completely, it's not apples to oranges. Correct. And that's true in every business, in yes. every situation. Yes. So we, we tend to get bogged down in comparing ourselves mm -hmm. to others in the marketplace or our competitors and I am a firm believer that every quote competitor can be a collaborator and there is enough business for everyone. Yes. So, so I'm always, in fact, when I'm introduced to another business advisor, I am thrilled because I can't possibly take every prospective client that comes to me, nor would I. And I work only with women business owners and only those that are experts in their field and run service companies. So there are lots and lots of people that I'm in contact with. And if I can refer them out to other advisors that I trust, I'm thrilled. Yes, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm glad you actually went into a little bit of depth of that, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure maybe or maybe not, you're familiar with a book called The Go-Giver. Yes, I, I've not read it, but I've heard about it. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a very good story because there's a sales guy that's trying to meet his quota for the end of the quarter or the year. I don't remember. And he's introduced to this older gentleman, a mentor, you know, kind of following the story brand framework. I don't know if you know what that is, but, you know, um, he has a guide, an older gentleman that kind of introduces him to several different people um, in different businesses, a deli person, a real estate person and things like this like that. And, um, you know, he's trying to meet his quota and he's like, the competition's killing me and all the rest of it. Well, at the end of the day, he learns, he learns so much that he actually, at the end, before he's the, before the close of the quarter or whatever, he actually calls his, his number one competition and gives them this business, this lead that he has. Yes. And, and what happens, of course, is things flourish for him and he makes his, he makes his goal. Yes. So I love what you just said in terms of collaborating with competition. And I've, I've been hearing that from other people as well. Love yes, it, I love think, it, love it. I think it's really important. And I want to lead with generosity and compassion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it's how I've raised my family. And it's how I treat others and how I would like to be treated. So I, I really lead with that and I believe in that. Mm. Yeah. So I have a big question for you, which is myself as a man, how can other men besides myself help elevate women? What, what do men need to be doing right now? Besides from my perspective, just listen? It's a great question. And it's one that's very relevant for me because I raised two sons. And I believe and I see that they behave differently than most men. And I'm really proud of that. And I also see with my daughter that she is in a partnership that is very different than most. So part of that is that level of respect and not just thinking it, not just paying lip service to it, but really supporting the women in your lives. One of the the issues that I see frequently, so a lot of women business owners behave like there's a glass ceiling in their business and there isn't. But we've been so conditioned to believe that there are others holding us back. And it's one of the beautiful things about owning your own business is there is no glass ceiling. There is no one holding you back but yourself. And I don't think it's fair in many cases to blame others and to blame men in particular. And I'm not saying there isn't oppression there is because there certainly is all of that but you can also create your own environment and choose the industries you want to work in and you have a lot more choices as women than i think you may realize so i'm i don't think anything good comes of blaming others i think it's taking responsibility and making choices that work well for you and the men around you the challenge then is we have to help the men around us understand how they can support us 
and be direct. And that means we have to understand that for ourselves. And, and be able to ask for what you want. Absolutely. And there's a gap between understanding what you need and asking for what you need. Hmm. And especially for women, because we haven't been raised that way. So helping the men around us to support us is really important. And I will share with you, I, when I had my first company, and then as I was raising my kids, I didn't have men around me who supported me other than my brothers. And while I was very grateful for that, I thought that was a, an unusual circumstance. Oh, it's my brothers. They have to support me, right? So what I have developed over time, and I recommend for everyone, and that is to surround yourself with people that can help you be accountable, that don't let you get away with stuff, that call you on when you say things or do things that may not be good for you, mm -hmm. people that hold you accountable. And what I have done over time is create that environment for myself. And most of those people are men. And I think that's been part of my personal work to allow men to support me. And to uh, now I count my two sons in that group and my two brothers. And there are so my business coach is a man. So there are so many people around me. And I had to get to a point where I could accept their advice, where I could and not take it as a criticism or. And so, gentlemen, those of you that are out there that want to support the women around you. Yes, start with listening, but also ask the women in your lives how you can best support them and what ways you can hold them accountable in a positive way. That's incredible. That's just going to be a piece of this podcast. I'm going to like pull out and just put everywhere. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's really, really, really well said. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Cause I, this has been incredibly rich for me and I'm sure for others, but I want to make sure that everything that maybe you wanted to mention, and I will ask you, you know, how can I support you in the rest of this conversation? Thank you. I appreciate that. So you already are supporting me by allowing me to share my message. And as I mentioned, that's a big part of my mission. I want to reach more women business owners so they can understand you can generate more revenue with less stress. And it starts with pricing, but it doesn't end there. There are lots of different ways that you can generate more revenue. And of course, this is true for men as well. The reason I focus on women is because I've experienced and overcome a lot of the challenges that my clients experience. And because that's where I feel I make the biggest impact. So it's nothing against men by any means. It is where I believe I make the biggest impact. And a lot of that is around the mindset of women that can be very limiting. And I want to expand those horizons and deal with the fears that are keeping women stuck in their businesses. Mm -hmm. Really nicely said, really nicely said. 
All right, Patty, let's let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. And it's women only, right? I, I am happy to meet people, male, female, or otherwise. So, so if you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's a great way to do that. And please reference this podcast so I'll know where you heard me. And um, it's Patty with a Y, so Patty Block on LinkedIn. And then also, I'd like to share with your audience a quiz that is called MyRevenueRoadblocks.com. And anyone is welcome to take this quiz. And what it does, I developed it so that it will reveal what's in your way when you're thinking about developing either your pricing or other methods of bringing in revenue. It may be new revenue streams. It may be tweaking what you're already doing, maybe keeping the same idea, but making it easier for your buyers to understand how you're pricing and the rationale behind that. So that's what the quiz does is it talks about what's in your way and what those roadblocks are. And so you'll get a report from the quiz and a series, a list of myths that I want to help dispel. So myrevenueroadblocks.com. I'd love it if you took the quiz. And if you'd like to reach out to me, please do so through LinkedIn. And you can also go to my website, which is theblockgroup.net. And on my website, I have lots and lots of free resources. And I do that purposely because my mission is to educate, to reach more women business owners, to help more women be successful in their businesses. So please avail yourself of those resources. I have articles and videos and all kinds of great information there for you. Yes, you do. I have been there. Wonderful. Yeah. So I want to let everybody know too, is um, on LinkedIn or wherever, if you use the hashtag WISL, which stands for Women in Strong Leadership, then she'll know it came from here. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So Patty, thank you so much for being here. You're really making my day. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation and thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. Until next time. And of course, everybody, you know, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio. Mm -hmm.